Good morning. morning. Oh, you can do better than that. Good morning. morning. All right, because I need you to be with me this morning because I really believe that what God is going to share with you this morning, you need to hear. And so do I. And I believe this, that if we actually take this and apply it, then our lives will change. Amen? Amen? Okay, you're getting it. All right, good. You know, this morning uh, we had a pre-service meeting and Pastor Tim prayed something that was, I thought was very profound. He said this, he prayed that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let me tell you something. If you are not fixed on Jesus this morning, you will miss out. I'm just saying. You're going to miss out on what God has for you. Because I believe this, that God doesn't work by chance or coincidence. None of us are here by chance. God has something for us. One thing I've realized being a Christian for as long as I have is every time I open the Word of God, I come face to face with Him. And when you come face to face with God, you may be ready because God has something for you. And it's something you do not want to miss. And so my prayer is this, is that we would listen to God. And I've said this a million times. You will hear me say it a million more times. We need to listen to God this morning. And not just listen, but you need to live out what He's going to challenge you to do. And it may be difficult, but that's okay, because it's God, and he has the right to do that. All right, Jesus said this, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is wise. And I don't care what age you are, whether you're a kid, whether you're a teenager, whether you're an adult, whatever you are, here's the thing, is I, my prayer for all of us this morning is simply this, is that we would be wise. Sound good? Let me pray for you, and then we'll jump in this. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to gather in your name and praise you, because you are the only one that deserves our full praise. Lord, we have praised you, and now we want to hear from you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, I pray in this moment that you would bind the enemy, because I know that what you're going to share with us this morning threatens the enemy, and he will do whatever he can to distract us. So I pray you'd bind him. I pray you'd move all the distractions. Lord, I pray you'd get me out of the way. Because, you're, Lord, you are the potter, and I am the clay. And I thank you for that privilege. And I pray, amen. I want to begin this morning by uh, sharing something with you that may surprise some of you. But I actually struggle with dyslexia. Anyone else struggle with dyslexia? Anybody? Okay, good. No one in the first service did. I felt very alone. So I'm glad that I have fellow dyslexia, people who struggle with dyslexia. That's what it is. Here's the thing. And because of that, what that means is this, is that I struggle reading. And I also struggle spelling. And so for me, when I was in school, English class, I simply dreaded. Especially when the teacher would have me read out loud. Because I would see the letters and the words on the page, and they would just kind of jumble together, and I would freeze. Now, my daughter is dyslexic, but nowadays what they do is they identify you. And they identify you, and they give you accommodation, so it's a lot easier. Okay? Back in my day, you know, back in my day, right? They simply threw you into general population, and they hope you survived. Okay? And so I'm going to tell you, there were times where I was completely overwhelmed because it got tough. And as I got ready for this morning, I kind of went back to my elementary school days, and one particular time stood out that I'm going to share with you this morning. I was in grade five, and I was in Mrs. Geddes' class. 
Now, looking back as an adult, as a 52-year-old, I realized that Mrs. Geddes was a really good teacher. As a grade five, I never saw it. In fact, there were two things I remember Mrs. Geddes. The first thing is this, and I know it sounds really weird, but I remember leather pants. Mrs. Geddes always wore leather pants. She had all these different colors. In fact, if I close my eyes, yeah, I could still see her in those leather pants. Okay, I know it's weird. The second thing I remember is this, is that she was a tough teacher. She was one of those teachers that you didn't mess with. Remember those teachers in school? You knew, like, if you did anything, you were in trouble, right? And so I remember the day like it was yesterday. It was a beautiful spring day. The sun was shining. The flowers were blooming. The birds were singing. And I was on top of the world, and I was heading to school, and I thought, you know, there's nothing that could ruin my day until I got into class. And I sat down, and Mrs. Geddes made this announcement. She said this. She said, next week, we are going to have a spelling test. Now, I want to clarify. This is not a spelling quiz. It's a spelling test. For a kid with dyslexia, a spelling quiz is terrifying. A spelling test is a nightmare, okay? She gave us a sheet of 100 words, and she said, you have one week to memorize these words because I will test you next week. Now, she didn't say it like that, but it seemed like she was pointing, right? <laughs> and so here I am, this grade five who struggles with dyslexia, who is a terrible speller, thinking to myself, I am not going to be able to do this. I remember that moment, there was this huge sense of hopelessness and helplessness that came over me. I went home, all wound up. I got into the house, and my mom said, how did your day go, sweetie? And you know when you're really just kind of all, and then someone asks you who, who you know loves you, and you just lose it? As this grade five kid, I just lost it. Like, it was Niagara Falls. I was blubbering. I was all over the place. And I think in the midst of the blubbering, I said, spelling test, 100 words, and I'm going to fail. Now, like any good mom, she diverted my attention with milk and cookies, because moms do that. As you can tell, I get diverted an awful lot, right? But here's the thing, and she said, listen, don't worry, honey, your dad will be home and he will help you. Well, my dad came home, my dad was very logical, and so he said, Dave, we're going to sit down, we're going to come up with a plan. I'm like, cool. And so he divided the words up, he said, every night I'm going to sit down with you, and we're going to memorize these words, and by the time the spelling test comes, you will be good. Well, the day came, I'm not ashamed to admit this, I pretended I was sick, and for some reason, my mom saw right through me, right? She sent me to school. I sat down, I still remember this, is Mrs. Geddes, she gave us this blank piece of paper that was lined. Now, it wasn't eight and a half by 11, it was one of those big, huge legal ones, like it, like it went on forever, okay? And she's okay, do you have your pencils? Are you ready? I am going to read the word to you, and what you're going to do is spell it. And then I will go to the next word. I thought, how hard could that be? She gave us the word. I began to spell it. The problem was I got halfway through the word. She was on the next word. And as you can imagine, it kind of all went downhill. I eventually got to the point where I was just making things up to keep up with her. I handed the test in. A few days later, she said, I have the result. Now, back then, I don't know what was going on, but they would announce it in front of the whole class. Like, they would just center you out. And I'll never forget, she got to Dave Lane. And can anyone guess what I got out of 100. Zero. The big goose egg. I didn't get one word 
right. In fact, she felt so bad for me, what she did was this, is she actually let me do it again. Can anyone guess what I got the second time? It wasn't zero. It was 18. Yay, that's right. That's, you did well, Dave, but I didn't pass. All right? And I remember thinking, going, man, this is so difficult. Now, you're probably wondering, Dave, why did you tell us that story? The reason I told you that story is because I think sometimes in life we feel that way, especially when it comes to our spiritual lives. Because there are moments in our spiritual lives where we feel overwhelmed and God nudges us to get involved. Maybe it's an opportunity to serve. Maybe it's a need that needs to be met. And what happens is this. In that moment, there is this tension that prevents us from stepping in. And the reason why is because we feel inadequate. We feel unprepared. We, feel not, we don't feel confident enough. And maybe we just simply are scared. And what happens in that moment is a wrestling match happens. And the wrestling match is between us and God as we resist him. But this is what I want you to get this morning. Listen to me. There is a reason why God calls us out. There is a reason why God invites us into situations that are beyond our skill set and beyond our experience. You see, God wants to use someone or something outside of our comfort zone to stretch our faith. So get this. That tension we feel is actually a faith issue. Because what God is doing right there is this, is he is exhausting your faith muscle. And by exhausting your faith muscle, what he is doing is this, he is causing it to grow. Because listen to me, God doesn't want you just to have faith. He wants you to have big faith. Amen? Well, no, amen? Yeah, I don't want small faith. I don't want medium faith. I want as much faith as God wants me to have. And it's very clear that God wants us to have big faith. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up and go to Matthew 14 or go to your phone. One thing that's really big here at Blue Water is this, is we want you to see this for yourself. Don't take our word, okay? Let's look at it together. And this morning, we're going to look at a very familiar story. In fact, as I begin to read it, the majority of us will probably recognize it. But here's the unique thing. Listen to me. In the midst of this story, there is a conversation between Jesus and his disciples, which I think, which I think sums up the issue that all of us wrestle with when it comes with our faith. And it's this. It's the issue of stepping out of our comfort zone and serving in a way that is uncomfortable. Okay? Let's start at verse 13 of Matthew 14. It says this, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Let me stop here just for a moment and just let you know what happened here. John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin, has just been killed. Uh, what happened was this, is King Herod decided that he wanted to take his brother's wife and make her his own, and John the Baptist got vocal. He said, what King Herod is doing is not lawful, and if you speak against the king, usually it doesn't turn out well for you. And so King Herod is upset, and to make a long story short, he beheads him. If you want to check it out, you can check it out in your own Bible, but that's what happens. And so Jesus hears of this, and what he wants to do is this, is he wants to go off to a solitary place, and he wants to mourn the death of his cousin, but it doesn't really work out for him that way, because listen to what happens in, at the end of verse 13. Hearing of this... 
The crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So get this. They hear Jesus is going to the other side of the lake. What they do is they follow him around the, all around the lake. They come, and as they come to him, it doesn't even enter their mind that he's mourning because they are so focused on their needs, and it's all about them. Look at verse 14. It says this, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it is already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. So here's the scene. Jesus is healing the crowds, but it's getting late. The disciples come to Jesus. They listen. These guys are hungry. Why don't we just send them off? Like, let's just put a pin in this, and Jesus, why don't we come back to it again tomorrow? Because we can't do this. Now, it doesn't say this in the text, but I think it's safe to say the disciples are probably like, Jesus, the crowds are hungry, but so are we. And what Jesus says next is really, really powerful, because I think it connects to where we're at. Listen to what it says in verse 16. They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Get this. Jesus is saying, I know that we're in the middle of nowhere. And I know there's no food around us. And I know this crowd is huge. And I know they're hungry. But you meet their need. Now, this tension, I think we all face as Christians. And if you haven't faced it yet, it will happen, so prepare yourself. It is when, that, it's when we sense that there is a need that has to be met. Maybe it's a need in a ministry here at the church, or maybe it's a need in our community. And in that moment, what happens is this, is our heart goes out to that person or that group of people. And what God does is this, is he gently nudges us and he says, okay, you meet that need. Now, I got to be honest with you, because I got to be real. When it happens to me, I usually respond, Lord, not me. But I'll tell you what, God, I will pray that you will send someone, someone will come along to meet that need. I'll be the prayer warrior in this situation. But as far as meeting the need, I am going to pass. Now, here's the crazy things: is the disciples respond in a way that doesn't surprise us because they respond exactly the way that we would. What we tend to do is this, is we tend to make excuses, right? Look at verse 17, it says this, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. The disciples like Jesus, hold on, like there is all these people and all we have is five loaves, two fish. There is no way that we can feed that many people. The passage says this, that there are 5,000 men. Now, for some reason, they didn't count the women in this story. But let's say, for example, that every one of these men had a wife and two kids. And that's lowballing it because, let's face it, these families were big back then. Okay? You're looking at 20,000 people. And like, Jesus, you do realize we have five loaves and two fish. In fact, it's a little boy's lunch. And we're going to feed all these people. And what I want you to notice in this story, which I think is really interesting, is that Jesus doesn't argue with them. He doesn't try to convince them. In fact, listen to what he says in verse 18. 
bring them here to me. I can imagine these disciples holding the loaves and the fish and saying, Jesus, this is all we have. And Jesus simply saying, bring me what you have. And the important thing about this is I believe that God responds the same way to us. When he nudges us to meet the step in and meet that need, listen to me, God knows how inadequate we feel. He knows how scared we are. He knows how unprepared we are. But he says to us, just bring me what you have. And I will take what you have and I will blow you away. And that's exactly what happens. Let me keep reading. Uh, In verse uh, 19, it says this, And he directed Jesus, the people, to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves, then gave them to the disciples. Now, I want you to imagine just for a moment that you're one of those disciples. Okay, get this. Jesus is in front of you, and this vast sea of people are behind you. And you give Jesus these five loaves and two fish. He blesses them. He breaks them. He divides them into 12 baskets, and he gives you a basket. And you're looking in this basket, and you're realizing, this wouldn't even feed me. And I can imagine the disciples sitting there looking at Jesus saying, what's next? Because physically, it is impossible to feed these people. And what they do next, I believe, is very powerful. The disciples simply did what they knew how to do, because that's all they could do. You see, the disciples knew how to serve. They're like, we don't get this, but we'll do what we can do. And it says this in verse 19, it says, and the disciples gave uh, gave them to the people. Here's what I want you to get. They did what they could do. And they trusted Jesus, that Jesus would do what only he could do. Now, this is huge because when we feel that nudge from God to step out of our comfort zone and to meet that need, despite the excuses, because they'll come, our response needs to be the same. We do what we can do and trust God to do what only he can do he can do. And yes, the tension, the fear, and the feeling of being unprepared is there. But listen to me, that is your faith muscle being stretched. Because God wants your faith to grow. And at that moment, what I would say to you is this, listen to me, what is at stake is not whether or not that need will be met. Because listen, If you don't meet it, God will use someone else. Can I pop your bubble for a moment? I love doing this. God doesn't need you. Nope. He chooses to use you. And so in those moments, he gives you an opportunity. What's at stake is not whether or not that need's going to be met. What is at stake is the size and the health of your faith. And so it goes beyond the need is the fact that God wants to do something in us and he wants to grow our faith. I read this somewhere, I thought it was really interesting. The capacity of our faith impacts the level of intimacy we have with the Father. Let me read that again. The capacity of our faith impacts the level of the intimacy we have with the Father. 
And so what we need to be saying is this. We need to be responding to God, I can't, but you can. And then what happens is this, is God will grow our faith. Because our faith muscle needs to tear. Now, as you can tell looking at me, I don't work out. I know you're like, really? This is all natural, okay? My son does work out, and he will say this. He'll say, Dad, you know what? It is good to have your muscles tear, because what happens is you build more muscle. Let me tell you something. The same thing happens with our faith. Your faith is either going to grow, increase, or it's going to decrease. Listen to me. Things don't stay the same. They don't. They increase or they decrease. And those moments where you feel that tension and you're scared, it's your faith muscle getting a workout. So what I would tell you is this, is do not run from it. Actually embrace it. Because when you step out, you realize when you come out the other end, you're stronger. Right? Listen to the impact here. It says this, in verse uh, 20 to 21, it says, They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate that day were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, we understand this, that when Jesus did this, he had a specific agenda in mind. This wasn't just some random miracle he did. Jesus knew that soon he would be passing this whole movement over to these disciples. And he knew this. In order for this movement to survive, their faith needed to be strong. And so could Jesus have fed the 5,000 by himself? Sure he could have. But he involves the disciples because he knew this. He knew that God wanted to stretch their faith. Now imagine this. Imagine being one of the disciples, having this basket of food that's not enough for you. You begin to hand it out. You get it back. There's more food in it. By the end, you collect it all together. You have 12 baskets full. You end up with more than you started with. That experience would have blown their faith because, listen to me, they saw God move. And there was no way, they knew this, there was no way they could take credit for it. Because all they did was serve. They did what they knew how to do. And God did what only he could do. But get this, so often we kind of stop there, but the story's not done. Right? The feeding of the 5,000 is like 101. Now what Jesus is going to do is he's going to teach them 201. Look at verse 22. It says, immediately, which shows us that these stories are connected, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed the crowd, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was, all, he was there alone, and the boat was already considerable distance from the land buffeted by the wave because the waves because the wind was against it. So Jesus sends his disciples off to get in this boat, and he goes off and prays. They go across the lake. The storm kicks up. The reason we know the storm was huge is because the disciples are freaked out. Most of the disciples were what? They were fishermen, right? They had seen storms. And so for them to be freaked out, it had been big. And here's the thing, is they are stuck in the middle of this lake. And look what happens in verse 25. It says, shortly after dawn, Jesus went out to them and walked on the lake. 
When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And what I want you to get is this. Once Jesus spoke, get this, Peter has an insight. In fact, I believe kind of Peter had one of those kind of aha moments because what he does is this, is he connects the feeding of the 5,000 to this very moment. And he realizes, wait a minute, we can do anything that Jesus asks us to do as long as we do what we can do and somehow trust Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. And so in that moment, what Peter does is this, is he puts his theory to the test. He says this in verse 28, Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now what happens here is pretty significant because Peter is just not going to step out. He's not going to just trust carelessly. He wants Jesus to call him out because he gets it. Peter's learned the lesson. If Jesus calls me out, then I'll do what I can do. And I will trust Jesus to do what only he can do. And so Peter here waits for the invitation. And listen to what it says in verse 29. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and they came, and came towards Jesus. You see, Peter does exactly what they did in the feeding of the 5,000. Do what you can do and trust Jesus to do what only he can do. I can imagine what's going through Peter's mind. Say, okay, what can I do? Well, I can step out of this boat and I can walk. And Jesus has now invited me, so I'm going to see if God will do what only, or Jesus will do what only he can do on my behalf. Now, do not miss this. I believe, look at me, this is the essence of the Christian life. Think about it. God invites us out of our comfort zone, and we do what we can do. Trusting God to do what only he can do. That's what it is. If you can step out on your own and be like, I can do this, you shouldn't step out. But if you're stepping out and realize, okay, I can do this, but I'm going to trust God to do more. Because if you are stepping out in your own strength, guess what? The focus is on you. But if you step out and people are like, you're never going to do this. And then you do, who gets the glory? God does, right? And so, this is what happens. Look at verse 30, it says this, but when he saw the wind and he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. He said, why did you doubt? So Peter takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to realize he's reminded of what he can't do. And so it says this, that he begins to sink. Now, notice this. Jesus doesn't look at him and says, sucks to be you, Peter. <laughs> Took your eyes off me. No, it says immediately Jesus reached out and caught, reached out for his hand and caught him. And then this is what he says to Peter. He says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And the reason he says that is because it's all about faith here and not about doubting. Jesus wanted the disciples' faith to grow. Now, when I was a kid, it was back in the day of flannel graph. Who remembers flannel graph? Anybody? They should bring that back. That just rocked. But anyways, 
I remember my Sunday school teacher teaching this lesson, and she stops there, and she begins to scold Peter. Peter, why'd you take your eyes off Jesus? I don't think Jesus, Jesus is scolding Peter here. I think he's saying, oh, Pete, you almost made it. You almost made it. You walked on the water. You kept your eyes on me. You took them off. But you get this. You get what I'm trying to teach you. I think if Jesus, listen to me, was going to scold anyone, he was going to scold the 11 other disciples who played it safe in the boat. I realized this a few years ago. You know when you read God's word because it's living and active, God shows you new things? When Peter says, Jesus, tell me to come to you, what does Jesus say? What does he say? Come. He doesn't say, come, Peter. He says, come. Because the invitation is for all 11, because the feeding of the 5,000 was the 11, or 12. This invitation was for all 12 of them. He taught them the lesson, and he wanted them to live it out, but Peter was the only one that figured out, okay, wait a minute, if Jesus calls me, and I do what I can do, I need to trust that he will do what he can do. Because listen to me, Jesus didn't just want Peter to have big faith. He wanted all 12 to have big faith. Right? So here's the application for us. God is constantly inviting us out of our comfort zone because he wants to grow our faith. And listen to me. He nudges us all the time to do this or serve here or meet this need. But the question I have for you this morning is this, is are we listening to him? I've had so many Christians say to me, well, I don't feel God nudging me because you've become numb to it. When you ignore something enough, guess what? It doesn't bother you anymore. It doesn't even affect you. You become callous towards it. God is always nudging us. The question we have to ask ourselves, are we actually listening to him? And not just stopping there, but are we willing to actually step out? Now, this may be uncomfortable for some of you this morning, but I'm okay with it, okay? For some of us here this morning, we are in a wrestling match with God right now. Let's call it what it is. God has made us aware of a need that he wants us to meet. Maybe it's an opportunity to serve with, within our church. Maybe it's an opportunity within our community. Maybe it's an opportunity around the world. Maybe God's calling you on a missions trip. And we are resisting God because, let's face it, we are scared, we feel inadequate, we feel unequipped, and we may even feel like we are in over our heads. All I would say to you this morning is just look at me. Join the club. Because like I said before, if you go into this totally confident, then there's something wrong. So like I said, if you go in totally confident, the glory is going to be to you. God loves to use people that are inadequate because then he gets all the glory. Look throughout the Bible. Look at how many people God used that were just, but because of where they're at, God received the glory. You know, as I close this morning, I want us to remember this, that we can learn a lot from the example of Peter. And it's this. When God invites us out, we do what we can do and trust God to do what only he can do. And listen to me. The tension in your life in those moments 
is actually a good thing. Because it's your faith muscle being stretched, and you want your faith muscle stretched, because when your faith muscle is stretched, guess what? Your faith grows. I want to close this morning with a story. I want to make this personal by sharing a time when I felt that in my life, because if I can't be real with you, then it's really not, it's no use me, it's no use me speaking to you. So this happened in, uh, on a mission trip to Honduras in 2008. And we were in the city of Tegucigalpa, and the church that we were helping, what they had is they had this ministry towards police officers. And what they would do is once a month is they would make all these sandwiches in their church, and they would go down to the police station, and they would feed the police officers. But here was the catch. <laughs> they had to listen to the gospel first before they got the food. Now, the pastor was all excited because they had this white North American pastor, me. <laughs> and they're like, pastor, 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 you have to do this. And I'm going to be honest with you, in that moment, like I felt totally out of my comfort zone. I didn't know the culture. I could not speak the language. And I came up with every excuse in the book. But here's the thing I want to tell you is I knew that God was calling me out because he was gently nudging me. He says, Dave, you got to do this. And so I remember I stopped for a moment. I thought, okay, so what can I do? Well, I can share the gospel in a really simple way in English because <laughs> I couldn't speak Spanish. And I would trust God to do what only he could do. To this day, it was, I remember it was like it was yesterday. I remember the walk down from the church. It was down a hill from the church to the police station. I'm glad it was downhill because I needed the, the help of gravity because I could barely make it. Now, the one thing I did not realize was this, is that the city at this time, Degusagalpa, there was political unrest. And so there was a really strong military presence in the city. And so the pastor goes into the, goes into the, 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 police, the police precinct, comes out, he is all excited. And he tells me in his broken English, pastor, 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 this is so exciting. You're not going to just preach to 30 police officers, but you're also going to preach to 100 military soldiers. I'm like, what? 130, this is great. And I got to admit, he was a little more excited than I was. And what happened was this, is they... Like, usually they had a room they met in. Well, this room was too small. Like, you had 130 men. And all I remember is this, is while the pastor was waiting, wanted me to wait, he prepared everything, and they were speaking together in Spanish. I had no idea what they are saying. But all I remember is this, is standing in a hallway with my interpreter beside me and looking down this hallway as far as the eye could see, and it went three deep. All of these soldiers lined up at attention with their semi-automatic machine guns right across them. I was terrified. All I remember is this pastor, bless his heart, he was so excited. He just gave me the big thumbs up. And I want to tell you this. I opened my mouth and God showed up. You know, I'll never forget that moment because I know it wasn't me. It was God. And I'll tell you something. That day, my faith grew leaps and bounds because my faith muscle was being stretched in ways 
I didn't want it to be stretched. <laughs> but I'm glad it was stretched. Because I look back on it now, and if I hadn't stepped out, I would have missed out on so much. And let me tell you something, listen to me. My faith wouldn't be where it is today. Now, is my faith muscle still being stretched every day? You bet. I've been through a lot of situations, especially in these last three, three few years, that has stretched my faith muscles beyond. But you know what? I look back on it now, and I'm glad, because my muscle is a lot stronger. Here's the thing. We all want to have big faith, right? Uh-oh, right? Yeah, we do, right? And we want our faith to grow. And so when God nudges us or calls us out, we need to step out despite the tension. Because remember, the tension is a good thing. It's your faith muscle being exhausted. Despite the fear, you need to have fear because if it's you, you're in trouble, right? And you need to feel inadequate because God's going to use you in a way that you never thought possible. And we need to respond this way. We need to do what we can do and trust God to do what only he can do. Let me pray. Dora, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the fact that you choose to use us despite our flaws. And Lord, you use us and we want to give you all the glory. Well, I want to pray specifically this morning for those in this room who are wrestling with God because they know who they are. You've called them out to meet a certain need and they have come up with every excuse in the book because they feel that tension. Lord, I pray that this morning that you would give them the strength to step out so that their faith can grow. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us because I know, God, that you're going to nudge us at some point. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just ignore but we'd listen and not just listen but we'd actually live it out Lord, as i look around this auditorium you want to use us in miraculous ways you want to receive the glory and you're going to use us despite our inadequacies and lord i thank you so much for that but lord i pray that even this week that what you've taught us that we would live in obedience well what we've learned today would not go in one ear at one go in one ear and out the other but would actually hit our hearts and would change us so even today that our faith would begin to grow deeper and stronger in you lord we love you and we thank you for who you are and we pray amen god bless you and remember you are loved